Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Think for Yourself podcast. In this episode, Dr. Mancharamani shares the audio portion of his February 12, 2021 webinar discussion with Kevin Warren. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to have Kevin Warren with me. Uh, Kevin was appointed the commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, I think appointed in 19, but didn't really begin the job until uh, early 2020, uh, which was a heck of a year to pick to start this job. Uh, but, but we'll get into that. Um, as, as traditional, I'm going to take uh, 30 seconds here for some advertising. Uh, so next, uh, next week, I have uh, Emily Delabreur joining me uh, to discuss uh, US-China relations. Um, Emily has been doing a lot of work using Chinese language sources um, to analyze what China's mission is in terms of setting standards for 5G and other dynamics. She thinks of it as sort of US versus China, effectively full spectrum conflict en route. And she's an interesting thinker. So I'm thrilled that next week we'll have a live discussion for those that are invited live uh, to, to join me uh, with Emily. And then of course the recording will get posted after. So that is next Wednesday at noon with Emily. Um, and then, of course, before we had uh, last week, uh, Gilman Louis. Gilman was the founder of the CIA's venture capital group. Uh, he talked about innovation, technology, and how we were able to uh, connect the dots in different, dis different and disparate domains. Uh, he talked about the future of technological innovation, artificial intelligence, surveillance, capitalism, space, etc. And that replay is now available, and the podcast will get posted shortly. Um, and before that, we began with Elliot Higgins, a true social entrepreneur, someone who has, out of his own pocket, decided to chase the bad guys in the world uh, and started a group called Bellingcat, which was a bunch of citizen journalists that held you know, the Syrian regime to, they figured out that they were using chemical weapons. He figured out that Putin had poisoned folks. He figured out what was happening in Ukraine. He was the first person in the world to identify the Malaysia Flight 17 had been shot down by Russians, not Ukrainians. And he does it using open source and social media. Uh, so a real dot connector in the spirit of Think for Yourself in the book. So that replay is also available. And then, of course, um, the, uh, the, the final advertisement, which I have to make, uh, is uh, my book, Think for Yourself, which is uh, available uh, everywhere at this point. And I really hope uh, you, if you haven't read it, that you take the time. And I would welcome any and all feedback uh, that, that you might have for me. Uh, it does have on the back cover a wonderful quote from our guest today. <laughs> so uh, Kevin was uh, kind enough to endorse the book uh, before its publication, having read an early version of it. So. Uh, with that said, and that background, Kevin, thank you for taking the time. I really yeah. appreciate you uh, joining us. So what I was hoping we could do today is just have a, a, a very informal conversation about life, leadership, and then of course, sports uh, and the big thing. <laughs> but let's begin with your background. What an amazing background. I mean, I've, I've watched uh, some of your commentary, et cetera, but you really talk about how life began when you were 11 years old um, and it's a, it's a gripping story. It's an inspirational story. I'm hoping you can share some of it with us here. Yeah, I mean, I do. One, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm glad your book is doing well. Uh, I expected to see on, on the New York Times bestseller list for years and years. And, and um, you know, you're touching upon some issues in your book that uh, are so pertinent, especially in the society that we live in today. So I just think it's, it's very timely. And uh, so I, I wish you wish you well in that. But 
as I said before, I think my life, you know, began at 11 years old. I was uh, riding a bike on a nice summer sunny day in Tempe, Arizona, and uh, there was a uh, a family who was looking to move into our neighborhood, and the uh, the mom uh, kind of lost control of her car, really wasn't paying attention, and and uh, accidentally ended up coming up on the sidewalk and ran over me. And so I remember, uh, you know, hearing the, the the sound of screeching tires, and you know, which is a little uh, unique. And I was headed up to to just play sports with my friends uh, during the day, and then um, my life changed forever. I remember the impact and. So last thing I remember is the impact actually looking down and seeing the impact, you know, my bike. And then the next thing was waking up on the ground about 30 or 40 feet uh, away from the accident occur occurred. And, and uh, when I'm back in town in Arizona, when I have the time, I always make it a point to go back to the, uh, the, the as I call it, the scene of the crime, uh, because I just, it's a constant reminder that I really shouldn't be here today because this area was a really small area of grass that I landed. And the doctor made it very clear if I had landed kind of in any direction, probably five or 10 feet in any direction, uh, I would have had even more massive injuries than I, than I did. But it was during that uh, uh, time, I mean, I, I, I have that felt pain during that process that, that was, you know, and I don't know, many of your listeners have been there where you can almost feel it in your teeth, but I had a compound fracture of my right femur and, and other uh, um, sundry list of, of injuries. But just like most things in life, we always focus on the big ones. So that that really led to me spending, you know, weeks in the hospital and traction to reset my leg. And then, and then months after that in a body cast, a full body cast, I went down to my toes of my right foot, halfway down my left leg with a, a metal pole in between, and then all the way up to my chest. Uh, and I was flat, so I couldn't even sit up. And so I, I say to people all the time that until you've basically, uh, you know, had, a, had an opportunity, and I say an opportunity and a blessing to really to drink and to eat all of your meals, laying flat on your back, uh, and then having to go to the, the bathroom, have people wipe you and all those different things, not to get too graphic. It really helped me to understand the gift of life, the beauty of life, and that the importance of taking advantage of each and every day. Yeah, well, it's a... Uh... It's, it's a remarkable story, Kevin. Um, let me ask this. Uh, one of the things you talked about was the doctor in your exit interview really was, well, I mean, the reason it, it sort of fits with the theme of my book and with some of the beliefs I have. Yeah. So I was really happy to hear your version of it. But you know, the doctor wasn't so encouraging. Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, and it was interesting. My, my mother, who, who, would, who uh, uh, she was an absolutely beautiful woman, brilliant woman, truly certified, you know, brilliant lady, but had a lot of pain in her life because her, she had a, a similar experience. Her, she came home from eighth grade and uh, her father was gone and she never saw him again for the rest of her life. So she always had, you know, carried around this pain in her of, uh, of what, you know, did she do anything wrong? Why? But uh, he left and she never saw him again. So that helped her raise uh, me and my siblings, because she was very transparent. She was very real. She didn't sugarcoat many things. And I remember she was with me when I had my exit interview with the doctor. And like you said, he wasn't the most kind of lovable, encouraging guy. Great, great surgeon. Uh, so I'll forever be grateful. But when we got in the car, I remember I was a little down. And uh, she said, never forget. That's why they call it practicing medicine. You know, and and and, and uh, she said it twice to me. And she's right. I mean, she said they 
they practice medicine. They don't, they haven't mastered. Otherwise, you know, you talk to a doctor, they would say, oh, yeah, I mastered medicine. They say, you know, I practice medicine and they're practicing. So they really don't, you know, know. And that's, that was the encouraging part for me to then approach my parents about uh, using some of the money from my uh, settlement, legal settlement. It wasn't a big legal settlement. It was probably around $30,000 or so. But to use some of the portion of the money, my parents didn't have the resources to do it, but to put a swimming pool in the back of our yard, because even with that, the doctor, although he wasn't a touchy-feely, lovey uh, kind of person, but even in relationships like that, they're always a, a, a pearl of wisdom. And his pearl of wisdom was to tell me that uh, water uh, aerobics would afford me the best opportunity for recovery. Yep. Interesting. And there's an entrepreneurial bug, something. What, what inspired you? Where'd that come from? This little yeah. thing. Oh, wait, hold on a sec. Mom, you got some money coming here. Let's do right. it for this. Let's, let's, right. this is a good thing. This would be something to help me recover and give me a shot. And then even more impressive, mm. you didn't just dive in, you know, for 10 minutes a day. No. No. You were a little more intense about it, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I, yeah. So talk to me about where'd that bug come from? Where'd that entrepreneurial energy, that that commitment, persistence, sort of the, the sort of grit, if you will? Yeah, I, I just think one of the strongest uh, attributes that our parents handed down to to me, I was the youngest of seven kids, is like you said, is is grit, moxie, um, and really just a survival instinct. I mean, my parents were survivors. Um, you know, my mother. Like I said, the issue she went through with her father, she, her, her mom was from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico, and her father was uh, a black man. So to be a, you know, a mixed person and, and growing up in Phoenix in the, you know, 20s and 30s and 40s. And, and you know, so she had to, to deal with a lot of issues. You know, my dad was a survivor. He played uh, college football and then went and fought in World War II and then, you know, came back to finish his career, had a PhD and and because of you know some race issues in Arizona, didn't get an opportunity to be a professor. He was a, he ended up being like a high school principal, an elementary school principal, you know, for many years uh, with a PhD. And I remember part of the reason why we swim so well, and you know how my life just is all knit together, is because my dad in the summers would be a lifeguard at a local pool to make extra money. And uh, so you can imagine somebody with a PhD being a lifeguard in the in the summer. And so I just think the biggest thing that I learned is just to be tough, tough as nails, just to survive and, uh, and not only survive, but to really thrive. And, uh, and I think, you know, entrepreneurism really comes out of, out of necessity out of most of the times. And I knew for me that if I did not really save my soul, save my life and get back to where I was before the accident, that even having that money that was earmarked for college, it wouldn't matter because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. And, and, and it all starts with our, especially at that age, going through puberty and different things. It all starts with feeling good about yourself. And so I just created, as I said, I was pre-Richard Simmons. I created my own, you know, regimen in the water, uh, really lived in the water, swam, exercised. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love the water uh, uh, so much today. And then six years after that, I was able to go and play, you know, division one college basketball. So it truly is a blessing. And, and that's why I'm so grateful to for, for yeah. every single day of my life. Yeah. Well, what's what's great about the story, Kevin, which I really appreciate is um, not only the grit, the resilience, the toughness, but then you went out and you became the student athlete that you were seeking to become. And, and, and I always love the fact that 
those who play in college and take collegiate sports seriously uh, always say student athlete, not athlete student, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I'm curious, talk to me about what it was like being a student athlete. I mean, you were not just a student athlete. You were on an mm -hmm. Ivy League championship winning basketball team, right? So, you know, what was that like? And, and did you have any trouble balancing the student part and the athlete part? And how did that play out? Because then, you, you know, I want to sort of go into your professional yeah. life today, but yeah. let's talk about your personal side first there. Yeah, I, I think what happened, I, I really, uh, you know, didn't. And, and I say it all the time. I feel like I have an unfair advantage uh, with other people is because of that trauma that I went through. Uh, so I was all of a sudden at 11, I went from being an 11 year old to a 21 year old. And um, because I just recognized I shouldn't be here. I, I mean, God spared me. He spared my life. And so I, I felt like I had an unfair advantage. So that allowed me to be able to sleep less, you know, to work out a little bit harder, to be focused on my studies. And uh, so for me, I, I really embraced it. I love college. And, you know, I love the ability to, to learn and to grow and to compete. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I missed my, I really do miss my college days. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a, a fun college experience of, you know, in a fraternity and going out and hanging out and partying and all that, but I just missed the fact of being able to train and compete and and just take some incredible class. I remember I took a Russian history class um, yeah. uh, from P Professor Rizanowski my, my freshman year and to really learn about the rise and the fall of the Third Reich. You know, these are things that I had never had a chance to study, but to be able to study and then have a, a person who had written books and asked questions uh, about that. And so all the way from undergrad to my MBA to to law school, to be taught, you know, Robert Blakely, who was almost drafted the RICO laws. And he was my crim law professor at Notre Dame. Yeah. And to have an opportunity to go and get office hours and sit across the desk from these individuals who were, who had really made history. Um, I, I was one of those people that actually absolutely loved school. Yep. And then you became a lawyer. Yeah, so I became what? a lawyer. I, so so I'm asking, I ask it this for this reason. Right. So right. My, my wife is a lawyer, although she's been in remission now for uh, like right. 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 been in recovery for a decade right. plus. But uh, but you know, there's something about people who get the law degrees. I think they do have an ability to think differently, connect dots, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, but what was inspiring about law? Why go get a law degree? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The this is it comes from back from my accident. After my accident, I wanted to become a doctor. Yep. Because I just saw the, the power of medicine and the healing power and how it helped people. And so when I went to Penn, I actually was a biology major. So I started hmm. off pre-med at the University of Pennsylvania. And the interesting story, uh, Locust Walk is a famous kind of walk through uh, right. Penn. And, yep. um, and the Locust Walk happened to be where most of the classes are, but it also leads right to the palestra where our basketball arena is. And I remember after about about four or five days of uh, walking toward the palestra for practice in the afternoon, I passed a couple classmates and probably most of them had perfect SAT scores and had gone to some of these unbelievable boarding schools. You know, I went to a, a public school in Tempe, Arizona. I had to take the SAT many times to finally be able to get in to Penn. And after about five days of me walking toward the palestra at three o'clock for practice and then walking toward the, the biology center for labs. And them asking me like, where are you going? And I'm going to basketball practice. And they were like, what, what, where are you all going? We're going to biology lab. I said, you know what? This is not going to, to, to work. Um, and it was one of those things that it would have been in retrospect. I wish I would have approached the coach about 
And that's why a lot of these high academic schools now practice in the morning. Yeah. That if we had practiced at six in the morning, that I would have been able to, if that had happened, I probably would have been a doctor. But when, when that didn't uh, hap uh, happen, I just said, you know, this is not the major for me. Because when I got into yeah. biology, I could, you know, get through it, physics. But when you got into organic chemistry, it was <laughs> too much. And that's when I switched to business. Sure. And so then when I graduated uh, from college, I was going to MBA school. And I told my parents I was going to MBA school and I was looking forward. And that's when you figure in the late 80s, that's when investment banking was big. And, and I remember my parents one night at the dinner table, I said, after your MBA, you need to go to law school. And I was like, I've been in school, man. This has been a long time. I like school, but I'm ready to get out and start. I got friends who are making money. And, and, uh, and I remember my father said, you never want to be uh, in your career in a meeting where you're going to have to totally rely on a lawyer in the room deciphering the information as far as what the party across the table is sharing you. So I'm not saying you have to be the expert on it, but you need to learn the language. And he said, you can't do anything in business without law. I mean, every country, you go rent an apartment, you buy a car, you, you know, you look on the back of your, you know, you said you traveled, you see your air, airplane ticket, yeah. you know, all those different things are, are legal documents. And that really struck me. And he said, what's three more years out of your life? And, um, and so I went straight through and then in nine years, got my undergraduate degree, my MBA, my, my law degree. And, and as I look back, I say it, and I say this fondly of my parents, there's, I would not be able to have been able to do the job as chief operating officer of the Vikings and definitely as commissioner of the big 10, uh, yeah. without a, without a law degree, it's just too complex right now. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. So you're in, then you go into law and then you got into professional sports um, with the NFL, right? Is that? Yeah, the, yeah I, 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 I was fortunate because so, I got out of law school. How, yeah, my first job was in sports. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, Everett, there are probably gazillion people that want yeah. that career opportunity, right? right? Yeah, right. It's sort of, hey, how do you do it? What do you do? Was it a lucky break? Was it being in the right place at the right time? Yeah, or, it, it, or, it or was, was it a little it was bit favor. prepared, right? You got to be prepared to be lucky. Yeah, I think it was, it was both. I interned for a law firm in Phoenix called Jones Skelton and Hockley and one of their managing partners, uh, Bill Jones, had a relationship with a gentleman by the name of Mike Sly. And I, it's one of those ones that I've learned in life that not with everyone, and, um, but, but you have to, it's almost like the Fleetwood Mac dream song. You got to be able to, to share your dreams with certain people. And I think because I had shared my dream of wanting to work in sports, Bill Jones, even though I didn't go work at his law firm, said, I got a friend named Mike Sly, who's a lawyer in Chicago, who's a sports lawyer, you should meet him. Mm. And my last semester at Notre Dame, uh, he said, call him. I followed up with Mike. Uh, I drove my, my small little uh, Toyota Corolla with 150,000 miles on it from South Bend <laughs> to Chicago to have breakfast with Mike's life, really just to meet him because I already had a job in Phoenix. I was going back after I graduated. And it was after that breakfast, Mike left a, a, a message on my answering machine um, and said, I would really like for you to come be an associate in our sports department. We've never had one. And hmm. so I called my firm in Phoenix and said, I got this opportunity. They said, look, you got a chance just like you to go right into sports and what Mike's live had done. And uh, life is crazy. He, he had built, he and Mike Glazier, they were representing colleges and universities who had violated NCAA rules, but to come out of school to get that job. So I accept the job. So now I'm moving to Chicago, which is close to South Bend. Then he calls me back a month and go, Hey, we're merging with this firm in Overland Park, Kansas. Cause that's where the NCAA used to be before it moved to Indianapolis. And I said, fine with me. And as fate would have it, but for that move, 
first of all, but for me going with him and then him moving to Overland Park and never would have met my wife. You think how one move like that, I wouldn't have <laughs> met my wife, wouldn't have had, had our kids, but I worked with him uh, in that area. He left to start the Great Midwest Conference and Conference USA and then eventually became the commissioner of the SEC. And it was during those times he would tell me, you know, you're going to be in college athletics. So after I worked with Slive and Glazier, I started my own sports agency, represented uh, student athletes. I worked a little bit at Notre Dame. And then it was doing, I had about 10 players on the Chiefs, and one of their executives was a good friend of Dick Vermeil. And almost like another one of the deals with Bill Jones said, I got a friend named Dick Vermeil who's coming back to coach the Rams, and you guys would really be good to each other and set up a meeting. And I went to fly to St. Louis to sit down with him and not looking for a job, but just to meet him. And kind of the rest is history. So I started. Yeah, awesome. Um, so did you have any? It sounds like you're just a general sports guy, but was there a loyalty to basketball that you felt like you were giving up to go to football? Yeah, you know, I love, I love, tension there. Yeah, I love basketball. Yeah. Uh, I, I really do. Grew up playing it, but you know, most of the other athletes in my family are football players, and so I had been a, around the game, and uh, I like the intricacies associated with basketball. But I'm passionate about all sports. And so that's why it was interesting, you know, interesting. And now coming into the Big Ten, you know, we sponsor 28 different sports. And some of our schools have, you know, more than 40 sports. And so it, it, it really is an amalgamation of, of all kinds of sports, you know. And, um, and that's the thing that I like about it. I mean, every single day we have something, you know, going on. But we have almost 10,000 student athletes in the Big Ten, 350 head coaches, over 1,100 assistant coaches, and 6.3 million alumni who who always are, are very open to tell me what they feel about uh, what the Big Ten can do better and what, can I, what I can do better. But, you yeah. know, I, I love the opportunity, and we have the best conference in, in all of uh, college uh, sports, the blend of, of athletics and academics. So it's just an honor to yeah. serve our chancellors and presidents and our athletic directors and our student-athletes and their families. Yeah, that, that's great, Kevin. So um, before we turn into some of the current affairs topics, one of the questions I've asked all my guests, the last 25 guests I've hosted on this thing, uh, is what's your favorite book? And then also, do you have a uh, favorite movie or miniseries? So, I, you know, like you getting feedback from people, I've asked the, the thousands of people that have listened to these things. And I say, hey, what have you enjoyed or not enjoyed about these, these conversations I have? Yeah, and yeah. people love the book recommendations. They love the movie or miniseries recommendations. And so I'm curious if you got one for us. Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I enjoyed your book, and, and but I'll tell you some other books that I really uh, have enjoyed. I'm thinking back. I was one of those people that I tried to to read and kept up on Target. I read a book a month, um, mm -hmm. and and it seems like when we got toward the end of the building of our Viking Stadium, I mean that yeah. pro project really just was all consuming, and so to have enough time to do that to have enough time for my wife and my kids and a little bit of time for myself, um, I, my, my reading for enjoyment uh, kind of waned. But the last couple of years, some of the books that have really jumped out me is one by Simon, Simon uh, uh, Sinek called Lead, Leader, Leaders Eat Last, you know, which I love. I've, I've grown to know him, consider him a, a dear friend and a, and a business associate, just a wonderful person. And one of the books that changed... Uh, um, my life uh, for for forever is the richest man in Babylon. Mm. You know, it's just about it's about finance, about finances. And then I'm a big um, uh, Andy Stanley um, fan, and he 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 wrote a book is uh, what's the what's the the best question ever. Mm. Um, and then another person 
who probably I've read the most of over the last couple of years is Mark Batterson. Okay. And, uh, and we did, and it really changed my family's lives. We did, he has this book, uh, 40 day prayer challenge. And so we did it with my wife and our son and daughter last year, right before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was family altering and we're getting ready to start it again this year. You have a, a reading that was really great, but he, he's, he's written some books, uh, that are, uh, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And so that, that's, I, I always, because I don't get a chance to read as much as I sure. uh, used to. And hopefully I can start back up doing it later this year. And then the last two years I was working on my, my own book. And so when I did have time uh, to work on it, it's called Build Your Own Pool. It's basically about my life story. I spent time on that. But those are my favorite ones. And then uh, movies. And my wife, you know, loves movies. We, we started watching, uh, like we were so crazy. We watched during this pandemic, Ozark. Uh, we started getting into that, you know, that, that's, uh, that show. But I'm yep. trying to think of a, of a movie that I've seen, you know, recently. I'll tell you what, it was more, we got into more docu-series, yep. but uh, the, the, the two killings of Sam, the two killings of Sam Cooke, if you haven't seen oh, that, man. it was really, it was mind-numbing. I mean, Sam Cooke was, I mean, he, he literally, I mean, he was one of the iconic African-American singers that broke the color barrier, you know, way back when, had an unbelievable business sense and just the way that his life ended uh, was, was really sad. So that, that would be something I would tell all okay. of your listeners there. If you haven't watched it, why it's yeah. fast too. It's only like a hour and maybe 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes. But you, when you see him navigate himself through the record industry, what he went through, some of the ideas that he has. And then now when you look at as a black and brown people empowerment, he was talking about that 50 years ago yeah. and to be able to see that and be gifted. And it's a lesson of, of just kind of who you surround yourself will, with will really dictate the trajectory of your life. But it's a it's a fascinating uh, movie that that uh, we my wife and I watched recently. You know. All right, no good. Well, the two murders well, of Sam Cooke. I think I'll, it is. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. definitely watch it myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, so now let's roll the clock forward. Business today, um, Kevin. So we'll start with professional, then we'll get to the college sports. But mm-hmm. professional sports. Look, you built the state. I mean, to, to what you did in Minnesota was not all sports you were a real estate developer you were yeah, a recruiter yeah. you were an hr manager you were a finance guy you were all of the above right i mean you were a true generalist in everything relating to that my guess is you picked up a couple lessons there about the the not only the current state of sports uh but also how do we think about the future of sports given this pandemic and what's happening yeah. i mean i think a couple lessons i learned uh, last year that uh is the pandemic really, um, it, it brought out the best that sports offers and it also exposed some of our concerns. And I think the best that sports offer, what the pandemic showed is that people do love live sports. I mean, it's okay to look at reruns and watch Tiger win them, the Masters and all those different kind of things, but it's nothing like live sports. And I think it, what we've noticed this last year is to see that sports is critical you know, to our society, to our psyche, it's an outlet, brings people together, it knows no colors and all those different things. So that was the thing that I learned about it. So because of that, I think what you're going to see is, 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 is more avenues for people to be able to consume live sports content. content. And, uh, and I watch my children, I can't remember the last time that I've seen them sit down in front of a television and watch a live sporting events. You know, they're doing it on their, you know, devices. And yeah. so 
because of that, I'm constantly thinking through what does that really mean? And especially with like Fang, you know, what does that mean with Facebook and Amazon and Apple and, and you know, Netflix and Google and, you know, Alphabet, you know, what, what is it? What does it look like? How will people consume our content three, five, seven, ten years from now? And will there ever be any in any televisions and homes anymore? And uh, um, even like phones, when's the last time you used a a, a phone in a house? Um, yeah. I mean, you just I mean we, we we have them in our house. I I don't even I don't even know our home <laughs> phone number. And and so but so you think about how the the content of where sports is. So sports is critically important. And then you think about the healing effort that it brought, you know, this year, especially after the murder of George Floyd and, you know, yeah. the way the, the NBA and the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NHL and, and uh, the MLS all came together. You look at the voice that is provided to student athletes in college. So I say all that to say what it did is that it reiterated the power of sports. It's not going anywhere. It's only going to grow. It's only going to get bigger. Because now, for once, it's moved beyond the athletic comp, uh, competition and capabilities on the playing field into really into the community. So now when you look at a LeBron James or a Russell Wilson or, you know, J.J. Watt or whoever the case may be, they're phenomenal athletes. But now they are ambassadors. They are voices for yeah. issues that we're dealing with in society. So I think that's, that's where I see sports now and I see where where the future will go. It, it now is, is really trend, transcending the actual ability to, to how talented you are as an athlete. Yeah, you said something really interesting there, Kevin, that I, uh, that I think is worth talking about a little bit further. You described sports as effectively content, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then there's distribution of the content and mm -hmm. distribution might be on an iPhone. It might be, yeah. a, you know, distribution might be via uh, your home TV. It might be in some stadium that someone buys a mm -hmm. ticket to come sit in. It may be, et cetera, uh, the in-person or virtual, et cetera. But it sounds like then, you and others are likely interfacing more with technology companies than you probably have in a long time. Given your work in sort of building the stadium, um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, smart stadium logic, stuff yep. like that. I mean, tell me what's the future of a stadium? If we yeah. have to roll the clock forward five, 10 years, am I gonna, will I go, A, will I go to a stadium? Mm -hmm. If I go to a stadium, how is the experience there different? Am I gonna have the iPhone app that's gonna let me see 17 different camera angles from the drones, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Am I gonna get the microphone from the head, helmet? Am I gonna get, what's gonna be different? I mean, you, you raised the, not only great questions, but you gave a lot of answers. Is I spent a lot of time when we were building our stadium of traveling around. Fortunately, I had been to all of the NFL stadiums, but but I I I and I'd been to most of the NBA stadiums. But then there were some. I actually went over to Europe and 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 visited some of the um, uh, EPL, you know, stadiums just to get a sense for it. So I I pulled in all of these other professional sports leagues, college stadiums, and then even music halls that said, what are what? How do people like to consume content? And there's nothing like being at a live sporting event. And I, you know, I've been fortunate to be around some of the great winning the Super Bowl with the Rams. But I was at the baseball game at St. Louis. Um, you know, when when Sammy Sosa, you know, broke the record. When he he and Mark McGuire were dueling back and forth. But then you think about the Minneapolis Miracle when when uh, Stefan Diggs caught the touchdown to to win the playoff game. The energy they they said the energy was so crazy that there were people's 
uh, Apple watches were showing like they had a heart attack. I mean, yeah, like yeah, a heart attack. It was crazy. So I say all that to say, so when I go to sporting events, I'm trying to, to visualize how can I take, like if I took you as a person and come up with a, uh, a clone of you and said, okay, what is your most favorite dining experience? What is your most favorite concert experience? What's your most favorite stadium experience? And then what do you like about watching sports in your house? Where do you watch it? And then what I need to do is to be able to create an environment that allows you to feel like you are at home, that has the same, you know, senses that you feel in a great restaurant, you know, same senses that you have when you get a chance to experience that, you know, Minneapolis miracle, but to be able to create an environment with the comfort, like you said, to allow you to come to our game. Because I used to say it all the time to our staff at the Viking, you know, what will cause someone on a Sunday morning you know, especially when it's cold in the winter in Minnesota, to get up, um, to move their church time, either go to church earlier or to go to church maybe on Saturday, but to move their time of worship service, to pack up their family, uh, to drive to our games, to park, to come into a, you know, stadium, to spend money when they can absolutely turn on a television and watch it in their favorite place. What causes somebody to do that? And so we, we, we have to create that, you know, environment. And I'm spending a lot of time right now in the whole, you know, analytics area of studying that, you know, behavior of fans of why, especially now with the global, global pandemic, people still enjoy, enjoy sports and they were able to do it from home. So how are we able to get people out of their houses, out of their couches to be able to, to do yeah. that? And so where I think of it is, it's going to be a combination of great technology uh, where people are going to be able to be involved you know, more. I, it, it is no way. I mean, you have children. Um, I, I can't even fathom my son and daughter, and my son is a college football player, and my daughter was a student athlete, going to an event where they actually, where I actually hand them a ticket and they sit <laughs> in a seat. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. And at the end of the first quarter, they go to the restroom and they come back, and then at halftime, they go wait in the line to get a hot dog. and a, that's not going to happen. So when we built a well, U.S. Bank Stadium, we built in a lot of areas for standing room only, you know, where people could, could stand. We knew our technology, our Wi-Fi, all that had to be very, you know, powerful because that's the, that is the new fan. I used yeah. to joke about it probably 10 years ago, seven years ago, but I'm not joking about it anymore. I think the next wave of, of stadiums are probably going to be five or 10,000 people. Sure. And they're going to be more like a studio audience. They're going to have all the other technology. You're going to be, they're going to have smoke. You're going to have smells. You're going to have all the different things to be able to do it, but in a very con- confined environment, you know, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hopefully uh, I'm wrong, but to be able to get back people into a point where they're going together, especially these large groups, um, hopefully that happens sooner than later. But, but I think the next evolution of stadiums are going to be different than they are right now. Yeah, it's interesting. So I had a friend of mine comes from a totally disparate background. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. uh, try to traffic in different audiences and different people. Um, and she's, in, she's from the uh, sort of Broadway theater, uh, the mm-hmm. drama. She was a faculty member of the School of Drama. Um, and she said, look, 
why wouldn't sports evolve the same way acting did at some level, yeah. right? It, was, it used to be theater, live theater. That's where, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we got to the movies and then the movies took off and sort of the content yeah. was there and the distribution happened differently, but there's still great theater and the right. great theater has acoustics. It has the lighting. It has the sort of experience, yeah. the right seating, the right sort the champagne that the sort mm -hmm. of yeah, yeah. intermission, et cetera. You do stuff differently. Um, but she said, look, it didn't take away from the role or value of actors or the experience, no. it just changed it. It changed it. And so, and so I think that's where, so I spend um, many hours a week, um, you know, just thinking through what does this really look, look like and feel like? Because what I'm trying to do is, is you know, just like how you asked about books and movies, if I, uh, and I, one of the questions I always ask when I'm interviewing people is that um, if you we're driving across country, um, you know, who are the who are the five people that you would have in your car to invite you? And I would ask you that, who, who would it be the five people, living or dead, that you would invite? And then I would ask them, you know, what are the what are the six six disc albums that you would play? And then if I even have more time, I'll say where are you seated. And it just gives you a lot of people, you know, insight. And the reason why they everyone has an answer of why. And there's certain music right now, if you hear a song right now will bring you back to either your parents' home, your grandparents' home, or in college, or a trip you took to, you know, the Paris. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out ways, how do we create that environment, you know, with our fans? You know, we have 6.3 million alumni, living alumni, where they still feel that if they cannot go to the big house, but when they hear hail to the victors, you know, it brings, it makes their hair on their neck stand up. But how do we yeah. tie that in to make them even to feel better and uh, to create their the fandom and create that experience yeah no i look it's a it's obviously a, a challenge and <laughs> you're navigating uncertainty real time here um so this is a maybe a, a question we can talk briefly about but somebody uh sent me a question saying can you please ask about student compensation student athlete compensation mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. if you stick with the analogy you're producing content you're distributing content Mm -hmm. Big Ten does it. Professionals do it. Professional athletes get paid. Mm -hmm. uh, can student athletes share in some of this? I mean, this is a big business. Yeah, we're in we're in the middle of this right now. I mean, uh, this 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 year, I think twenty twenty one will be the year that um, kind of how we know and understand you know sports and you know the whole issue with name, image, and likeness. I mean, we're right you know in the in the focal point of that. I mean, there've been bills that are you know, being dropped here regularly. Senator Murphy just had one. We had, you know, Booker Blumenthal. We have Gonzalez and Cleaver, Senator Wicker. And uh, where it lands, uh, we'll see. I think, obviously, people understand with name, image, and likeness that, that uh, that's coming, that's here, that's going to happen because, you know, some of the, what his, the states have done. And the biggest question for me as a father of a student athlete of a student athlete myself, a person who was in professional sports, I just want us to, to very thoughtfully make sure that we remember that our young people on our college campuses, typically they're between 17 and 24, they're sometimes they're a little bit older, are there, as you started off this conversation, because they are there to get a, an education and be able to participate in intercollegiate athletics. Um, are there different levels of, you know, Division One, A5, Division Two, Three? Sure, there is. But I think we need to be mindful of that. These are not professional athletes. They're not. Um, I worked in professional athletics for 21 years. Professional athletes have a union. You know, they get paid 
very handsomely. They have families. Uh, these are grown people. Uh, a lot of our people are, are adults, but they're, they're, they're in college. And so because of that, I just want us to be very thoughtful as we build this out, that we put the health, safety, and wellness of our student athletes at the top of our, all of our decisions as we roll this out. We make sure that they are educated about you know, money. Money is, a, money is not, um, uh, it's not about what a dollar bill looks like. It's a different language. And, uh, and I just want to make sure that they're educated. What are the tax implications when someone gets a name, image, and likeness payment? As a tax, do they have to pay? Do you have to reserve money? Because even in my early legal career, I represented entertainers and bands and musicians. And I just saw, and we still hear these stories from people in the music business or in the movie business because they didn't understand the language of money. That doesn't, that doesn't mean people shouldn't be compensated, but I just want us to take a holistic approach yep. to be very thoughtful uh, about it and, and to keep in the mindset that we have, to, we have a responsibility to educate our, our young people. Now, I do get concerned about the impact of what does it mean to a team if all of a sudden, you know, Joe over here got a $500,000, $100,000 payment and, and uh, maybe this person didn't. Do they now move off campus? You know, what, what, what does all that mean, you know, with the different, you know, machinations? What happens if they're a great college player and then don't get a chance to play professionally? And then so um, there are a lot of uh, questions. I know we're working through it. And, uh, and I'm glad that we're talking about these di different issues. But the thing that I just want to make sure from my standpoint that we remain uh, just a, a rational or reasonable voice and take the long-term approach that uh, when name, image, and likeness payments really do begin, that we do it in a really thoughtful manner uh, to make sure that our student athletes are taken care of in the manner that they, you know, have the right to be taken care of in. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, it's, it's nice to hear you uh, talk about some of the feedback loops that can happen and and the thoughts that they require, right? Because mm -hmm. oftentimes something good here can turn around and, and, and right. come back and bite you over here. And mm -hmm. you know what may be obvious at one level with some contemplation and thinking might result in a little more mm -hmm. into it. So, so it's, it's good to hear that. Uh, Kevin, let's talk about uh, George Floyd and race relations. Mm -hmm. You and your family, Minnesota-based for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a topic I know that's important to you. Um, I know your family foundation, uh, even deployed some capital to help support, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was race awareness, but also, which I thought was really interesting. And I think it's part of that, uh, sort of equality and inclusivity, inclusivity objective was sort of the, even the voter registration yep. side of it, which I thought was really great to see that linked here. Mm -hmm. with the, you know, just more participation in democracy. Let's just all get involved. Mm -hmm. We have a voice, there's ways to express it. Let's express it. Um, so maybe yep. thoughts on how that affected the Big Ten specifically. And then even some of your personal reflections having come from Minnesota where, you know, this mm -hmm. was an unfortunate site of the scene, so to say. Yeah, I mean, we uh, lived full-time in Minnesota for 15 years. Uh, we still have our house in Minnesota. We, we, we've kept a house there. And we were actually, because the pandemic and our office was closed in Chicago, um, we actually had retreated back to, to Minnesota during uh, that period. So I was actually there when, when George Floyd uh, was murdered. I was actually in the, in the Twin Cities. And to, you know, to feel, you know, the thing that really struck me is that we were probably, mm, I'm just as a crow flies, I don't know, seven, eight miles away from where that happened. Okay. But... Like in our neighborhood, 
you would never even know that it happened. And, and that really struck me in life that that's, you know, sometimes, you know, we have a responsibility to, 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 to run toward complicated issues instead of running away from them. And, and, and it, it, it was really, if you had gone outside in my neighborhood, I was having my family in Arizona was calling me, although we had the news on constantly, but they were calling to share information about what was going on in the Twin Cities, more so even than a lot of people in our neighborhood recognize. Hmm. And now as a black man living in Minnesota, you know, it pierced my heart when that happened. So I was really focused on, on that. And, you know, again, back to just making sure we do everything we can to help our student athletes to, to become whole people is, is a lot of my, my platform when I, when I was uh, um, hired to be commissioner of the Big Ten was to really focus on mental health and wellness, yeah. you know, vote, focus on financial literacy, focus on voter registration, you know, focus on equality. And uh, because those are all the things, because our student athletes are going to get, you know, trained on academics and athletics, but it's all of these different things that I want to make sure that they have training on. So at that time, and, you know, there are some people who are thinking about it, that I was making a political statement in regards to who to vote for not I made it very clear this is this has nothing to do with your political you know background what this was has something to do with is that when you live in this country you have an opportunity to be able to vote um, on the leaders of our country or some certain rules and regulations take the time to vote you know be 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 educated uh, to vote uh, to understand it and that's what we wanted to do in, in, in the Big Ten with our student athletes is to make sure people just aren't, yeah, go vote, that's the key, but not just casting wild votes, but to go in there and really understand the background. So, you know, it was, a, I think 2020, uh, like it's really, that will be a year that forever. And although people talk about how hard it was, it had challenging moments, but I know for me as a person, spiritually, emotionally, all the different things, um, it was a year of incredible growth. I, I, you know, after the George Floyd uh, murder, just, I couldn't get it out of my mind and heart. I'm talking about at a, just at a high level that it was, it was, it was, I mean, I could feel it physically that I sat down one, one night and pinned the, you know, a letter, uh, just an open letter. And, um, you know, I got word that, that now the, the library of Congress actually, you know, picked up the, uh, <laughs> but the letter, but I, okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, it was, and it was just from my heart that, you know, we have to get beyond color. We have to get beyond race, you know, religion. We got to come together, realize that we all are the same. We all have, you know, issues. We all have certain biases. We have all those things, but we got to come together because our children, our grandchildren and our great grandchildren deserve uh, a better world that we need to hand it off to them in a, in a, in a, a better fashion. I mean, the worst thing an individual can do is to hand off a family, hand off a business uh, in a position that may look good, from the from outside looking in, but when you really get into it to say, boy, they got some problems. And I think now, you know, we've recognized that we have to, uh, we need to make sure that we, we we get our world in a better place. Yeah, well, Kevin, thank you for that. Cause I think that's a wonderful way for me to segue into this next um, uh, question I had. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it right from the letter. So for those that mm -hmm. haven't read Kevin's letter, I do recommend it. Um, and I'm just going to read just one paragraph here because it's a question that I'm going to tie to sports for you. But it says, meaningful change will only occur if, as a nation, we are united, resilient, and determined to create difficult, uncomfortable dialogue and take significant, tangible action. 
We all need to strive to make the world a better place. And this is the part I love. One person, one family, one city, one state, one conference, one country. Combine that with the palpable polarization a lot of us feel politically, Kevin, and tell me, how can sports help us bridge some of this polarization? I mean, really, I'd say it's one game at a time. I'm a big believer. I always um, watch um, our sporting events. And when, when I watch those events, I'm always looking for what was one thing that happened during that game that sent a message, even subliminally to people that, you know, we, we're, we made, and it may have been a baby step forward, but we made a, a baby step forward to making sure the world is a better place. It may be nothing more than a, a student athlete of one color helping another student athlete of another color off the floor after a, a aggressive play. It may be, you know, just a sign of respect. And I think what we have to do, we were so depleted. You know, I analogize it to if you have a plant that you haven't watered in a long time, you know, even though the plant, you know, is still standing and looks healthy, but when you look at it, it doesn't look totally healthy. But when you, and we've done this, you know, we travel and we go back home and then you just start pouring water on it. You know, you can, you literally can see that plant. I mean, just in a matter of time that all of a sudden I've seen it happen where we've done that in, an, in a day, by the end of the day, it looks totally different. And I just think as the country, we were so depleted and how we should treat each other, our decorum, things we should and should not be doing is that now every little thing works, every little act of kindness. I mean, helping someone on a plane to get their bag down, you know, letting someone go in front of you. I know it sounds small, but, but we got to get away from the road rage and cutting people off and all these different things. We just need love and kindness. And it starts on little things. You know, little things. I mean, just, just, and, and I've, I've tried to do, I've always, you know, my parents train me, I always write a note and leave a tip for every time I check out of a hotel to the maid. Why? My grandmother was a maid. And so that extra $20 bill may be the difference of her, you know, taking her, her grandbaby to, to a, a play or something like that. So I think where we are right now, everything matters. You know, everything matters. And I'm, the more, positivity we can stack and the more negativity we can eliminate, the better off we're going to be. And, I, and I'm confident that if we continually do it over time and with sports, that's something that people get a chance to visually see. And that's why I don't like fights and sporting events and, you know, players cursing at referees because what that does it, you know, if, if you got a dollar to, to, to what machine are you going to put it in? You put, that's a negative energy, but if you can put that in a positive energy, eventually that, that we'll, we as a country through sport will be able to to get to a more positive place. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, one of the things that I we joke about here in Boston was, you know, sports, at least with some of my friends, we talk, oh, can sports help bridge this gap of, yeah. of polarizing? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it don't really matter if you're a conservative, a liberal, or what have you. You can, right. you can come at the game and you sort of right. have, that's a common bond. And then uh, this friend of mine down in Florida, he says, yeah, or uh, sorry, my uh, friend down in Atlanta, he says, you know, it's fine, except just don't bring up Tom Brady. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> That's polarizing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, now you're he, polarizing but, me. Right. <laughs> okay, forget it. That's right, 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 right. So, but, it, but uh, 
But I say all that to say is just, you know, that, that's the beautiful thing about sports. I mean, even watching, I was at the Super Bowl on Sunday with my wife, but to watch him at his age to be able to perform and being a Michigan grad from the, you know, Big Ten, you know, like him or not, but the, but the way he, you know, his, his career has been absolutely amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, sort of fun closing tidbit here, uh, Kevin. Are there any unique sport any athletes you'd tell us are some really interesting, uh, even it could be a sport that you think is going to sort of totally blossom in ways we hadn't thought about. If you look across uh, sort of the spectrum of sports that you pay attention to, and obviously I don't need you to highlight a specific athlete, but are there sports you think that haven't quite gotten the attention they should deserve that are going to be the next big thing, either yeah. here in the U.S. or globally? Right? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a great, great question. I mean, I think, I think soccer has a lot of growth left, but some of our sports in our conference that I, that I love, that I've gotten a chance to really love, like water polo. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great, I, and even as a young person, I always like watching that during the Olympics. Uh, one of the cool things is I, I got a chance to see Ohio State synchronized swimming team compete. I mean, just, it was just magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I, I think all the sports that, um, you know, all of them that gives people a chance to really grow and compete, but, I think yeah. water polo is one that's going to, that people are going to keep a, keep an eye on here in the future. Okay. Well, good. So there's that. And then actually I'm going to ask the last bit of that same question that someone was asking uh-huh. somebody else's question. And they, so thoughts on esports really quickly, this idea that, you know, people yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, it's growing. I mean, I tell you what, all you have to do is look at, you know, when I travel again, every, everyone, again, back to us, not a lot of times not communicating with each other, but, I mean, these, these, they're, these, it's, it's growing. I mean, the numbers are continue. I've never played a video game, but you know, my son, son does, but I just watch he and his friends and uh, the number of people, they're serious about it. And I think a lot of it, it has to come down to a, you know, almost back to what I said, how young people consume content. And uh, so the more I think we can provide that one, I think esports will, will uh, continually, you know, grow because it, it, it allows people even from an escapism to be able to, to yep. they're almost able to create their own sporting events, their own um, movies. Yeah, yeah my 10-year-old know. during the pandemic connected with his friends using Rocket League and it's yeah. like a big thing. It's like soccer and these little rocket yeah. ships. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so, it's but, amazing. I, I think <laughs> what it tells us is there's nothing off, off the deck. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so there's a handful of questions. We're not going to get to them all, but I'm going to leave this last one perhaps as our closing question, Kevin, which is, um, is there an example of you applying your entrepreneurial spirit to something you've done since or since you've been at the Big Ten? So, you know, because you've been dealing with sort of big issues, uh, yeah. but sort of, you know, you got this entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I, I um, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'll give you one. I'm just, just thinking off the top of my head. You know, last last year, because I, I love combining, you know, helping people is that my wife, Greta, and I, through the Warren Family Foundation, purchased uh, pink shoes for our women's tournament and, and, and uh, uh, blue shoes for our men's tournament to bring awareness to breast cancer, awareness and prostate uh, cancer. Yeah. Um, and we gave them to, to all of our employees to wear during the tournament. So it was an interesting combination from... Uh, from a visibility, you know, entrepreneurial standpoint yeah. that we were able to come and say, um, you know, just bring awareness to it. And some of the notes and comments I've received back to people to say, you know what, that caused me to go get a mammogram and that caused me to go get, 
you know, finally to get, you know, checked from that standpoint. So, so many times in entrepreneurialism, uh, it's not about just creating money. It's about creating change. And so I think that that's one of the items that, that we were, you know, able to do. I mean, I got a whole list of them, but that's, sure. that's something that, that has come to mind right now. Sure. All right. Well, no, we're, we're sadly out of time, Kevin. I can talk to you for another three hours, probably. About you, 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 and, you, you and me both. I really, really, really enjoyed our time together. I'm here for you any way I can help. And, and uh, I look forward to, to seeing your book just kind of grow and, and flourish. And thank you for everything you mean to society and, and me personally. Well, thank you, Kevin. I, I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate the endorsement. And uh, I, I love the good work you're doing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Think for Yourself podcast. If you find value in these discussions, we hope you'll consider supporting this series by becoming a member of the Think for Yourself community. More information can be found at www.patreon.com slash mancharamani. And please do subscribe to the podcast series on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Spotify. 